It's a College Baseball Tuesday, and we have mock drafts. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And what a weekend in college baseball. Absolutely wild. In just a minute, I want to get to uh, the newest mock draft. We, baseball America went and did a mock using their writers and their scouts. But first, the week that was. So, Last College Baseball Tuesday, we told you, be watching this TCU versus Oklahoma State series. It had a lot of implications, was going to be really interesting, and it absolutely was. So TCU goes into Stillwater, wins two out of three against Oklahoma State, now sole place, sole, and the only team in first place in the Big 12. And the way that this whole series unfolded, so Oklahoma State goes out game one, Uh, They're facing Riley Cornelio, their ace for TCU. Lights him up. 11 hits, 8 runs, and 3 to 3rd innings. Oklahoma State goes on to win the game 13 to 2. And TCU bounces right back. Saturday, never trails. Wins it 6 to 4. Sunday's deciding rubber match, 7 to 6. They win. They win the series. And it's something where uh, they... Like they stay, they they fought off a late rally in both days. On Saturday, Oklahoma State had the tying run on the plate in the ninth, couldn't break through. On Sunday, Oklahoma State scores twice in the ninth and had the winning run on base with two outs. So TCU's bullpen between those two days threw nine and two thirds innings and held Oklahoma State to one earned run. Uh, so last two weekends now, TCU has gone. Five and one against Oklahoma State and Texas Tech because they swept Texas Tech last week. And so, and this comes off of them losing back to back series against West Virginia and Texas. And so now they are not only in first place in the Big 12, but they're on the inside path to host a regional, the spot that would go to the Big 12 champion. Uh, RPI, kind of light. They're at 26 right now, but they have a series at Florida State this upcoming weekend. Florida State, one of the best pitching rotations in the country. So a good opportunity for them to, to help the resume get some quality wins on the stat sheet. They only have three, uh, six conference games left, two weekend series left. Uh, Oklahoma and then Kansas, and Kansas is bad, 2-10 in the conference. So I feel good about where they are. Um, more action going on Tennessee. So Tennessee swept Florida in Gainesville. So they are now 17-1 and in the SEC, 37-3 and on the year. That one loss was to Alabama uh, in one of the, I think it was game one of that series. And it's funny, uh, t- Tennessee has now set a new record for the best start for a team in conference play. The previous record was 16-1 and from 1951, and that was also Tennessee's record. So Tennessee beat their own record for the best start in conference play in SEC history. Uh, And the way that they did this was really interesting. So game one, pretty easy, eight to two. Game two, three and oh. Five hits for Florida across those two games. Wasn't close. Game three, uh, Florida was up four nothing in the sixth. Florida had a two-run lead 
Tennessee's two outs, two strikes in the ninth. Their freshman DH gets a two-run single, ties the game up, comes back up in the 11th, two-run home run to walk it off. As they walk it off because they're they're away, but the the winning runs they hold on, and then the thing here is so they were missing Chase Dollander. So Chase Dollander was hitting the arm with a fastball. I'm sorry, uh, with a comebacker um, by Alabama, and there was concern that he was something was going to be seriously wrong. Uh, the X-rays came back negative. There's no fracture. Uh, the swelling's gone down. The soreness has gone down. He actually was talking to the radio pregame before game two and said he was able to start throwing, uh, like I think Friday or Saturday morning. So he's probably going to be back. And then they got Blade Tidwell back. So Blade Tidwell, preseason All-American, draft-eligible sophomore, uh, had shoulder soreness kind of messed up beginning of his season, uh, is back now. So four and two-thirds innings, two hit, one walk, Five strikeouts. The pitches look like uh, the Blade Tidwell pitches that we're used to seeing. Uh, fastball running up into the high 90s. Um, you know, just the stuff looked really good. So that kind of tells you, okay, yeah, they've got a 203 team ERA. It's best in the nation. And, uh, and then they bring Blade Tidwell into that. And then at some point in time, they're going to get uh, Chase Dollander back into that. So, like, Dollander 6 0, 293 ERA. They've got two freshmen right now. Chase Burns is 7 1 with a 212 ERA. Drew Beams 8 0 with a 186 ERA. And it's like, we got four starters, four really good starters for three spots on the weekend. Uh, what a freaking problem to have, man. And then, if you remember again from College Baseball Tuesday, we previewed Wofford versus Mercer. Uh, Wofford goes out, wins two of those three games. So, they win the series. They have a one game lead in the Southern Conference, and a top 10 RPI right now. So, uh, this Walford offense, like, it's a fun team to watch. So, they're, they're averaging almost eight runs per game, and in 40 games this season, they've stolen 117 bases. It's absolutely absurd. Most teams just can't, ha- I mean, they went out there, they beat Dallas Baptist. Like, they've, they've had a lot of, they, they've won a lot of, they've won over 30 games this year. And so this is something where it feels like, one, uh, they're probably going to win the regular season title. They've never won the Southern Conference regular season title. They've only been to the NCAA tournament once in history. Now, we have a ways to go still. They've got half their conference slate left. But it feels like they're going to be able uh, to make the tournament off of this. Feel really good about it. And then previewing some of the games coming up this weekend before we get into this, um, into this mock draft. A couple big matchups I'm excited to to watch as I'm in and out this weekend. Um, Virginia and Virginia Tech. So this is at Virginia. Both of these are top 10 teams. uh, And already natural rivals, right? But then you add to that the fact that this is the first time Virginia Tech's been in the top 10 in more than 25 years. Um, Virginia's obviously like top five. They're like number five or whatever. They're practically tied in the ACC Coastal. And they're both trying to secure a chance to host a regional. So Virginia Tech has won 18 in their last 21 games. Um, they are 28-9 overall, 12-7 in conference. But Virginia is 31-10 right now, 13-8 in conference. And then at home, they are 23-2. So this is like that classic uh, immovable object. Uh, unstoppable object, immovable wall. There you go. 
they're going to collide. What's going to happen here? Um, Virginia Tech is incredibly hot. Virginia almost never loses at home. So I want to see that. Uh, Oklahoma State and Texas, uh, both ranked teams as well. We like to talk about ranked teams in this, but interesting implications for the Big 12 here. Both of these teams are now behind TCU, looking up at TCU. And this is probably, both for both teams, probably their last chance to get keep themselves in contention for the Big 12 championship. Whoever loses this series is probably out of the running. And the thing is, you are going... Oklahoma State is going to Texas. So they are in Dishfalk Field. Um, they are 18-4 and four at home, Texas is. So definitely an interesting matchup and one that you're going to see teams, you're going to see both teams probably empty the book because this is all they got. If you lose this, you're probably not winning the conference this year and you are on the outside looking in for, um, you know, you're probably a, a late seed if you make it to the tournament at all. So... Interesting one there. And then the last one, Tennessee at Auburn. I'm sorry, Auburn at Tennessee. So obviously both ranked. Tennessee has the record. They have the home runs, all of that stuff. Auburn has won six straight SEC series. They just swept South Carolina last weekend. Um, you know, their first SEC sweep of the season, but have won six straight series. They're only one game behind Arkansas in the SEC West. So Auburn and Georgia are competing right now for who's going to be that third seed out of the SEC because it looks like you're probably not going to get four hosting spots in regionals out of the SEC. You're probably going to get three. So Auburn, and Auburn's goal isn't, I mean, it's unrealistic to say, yeah, we're going to sweep Tennessee or we're going to win the series. But if Auburn can pick up a game here and then Auburn can pick up a game against Arkansas when they host Arkansas the next week, yeah, they go from... Number, national number one Tennessee to SEC West number one Arkansas back-to-back weeks. It's nuts. Uh, but if they can do that, then they only have to go 5-1 and one against Kentucky and Alabama to lock down 18 wins and probably get that number three seed. So they're not one and done in the, play, uh, in the SEC tournament. And then they get that regional seed. And in just a minute, I want to go over this mock draft. I'm so excited we have them finally. Uh, kind of talk about, go through the picks, talk about some of the interesting trends that we notice in there. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can get the latest sports developments, uh, league reviews, and news. There's the NBA playoffs in there. Obviously, Major League Baseball going on right now. That's what we care about. And Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, live betting, playoffs, esports, and all that. So head to the website today. Or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because Bet Online is where the game starts. So there is a Baseball America mock draft. The staff of Baseball America did a draft, and I'm going to go ahead and link it in the show notes uh, so you can go in there and read it. You can see who they picked. And what they did is seven writers from Baseball America sat down, made the decisions for teams. And this wasn't necessarily a true mock draft, like, they're not projecting out what these MLB teams are going to be doing at those spots because it's impossible to know in the age of analytics what these teams are valuing and not valuing uh, and how they have certain players measured. What they're doing is they're saying, if I was in charge of the team in this spot, who would I pick? So very interesting exercise. Again, not necessarily exactly what you would expect as far as what these teams would do but what the people in charge of the mock draft would do at these spots. Number one pick, uh, Drew Jones, the outfielder 
out of Wesleyan High School in Norcross, Georgia. This is the son of former MLBer Andrew Jones, arguably one of the greatest defensive center fielders of all time. And it's something where the belief is he has everything to be the the next Andrew Jones, the, the, the pedigree, the tools. It's something where the Orioles have this pick and they've gone under slot in the past 10, the past two seasons. They've saved a lot of money on that top 10 pick so they can turn around and use that money later in the draft. But it's something like this is seen, Drew Jones is seen as like a generational player. You cannot give him, you cannot skip him. So they're going to do that. Uh, the Diamondbacks at two, Elijah Green, outfielder from IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. So a second prep outfielder in this case. Uh, Rangers go with Tamar Johnson, the shortstop out of Mays High School in Atlanta. Uh, and Ben Badler's the writer here. And he says, you know, I think Johnson's the best high school hitter in the country. Um, he's five foot eight, but he's got amazing power for his size. And it's something where they're looking at 70 grade hit tool, 70 grade power tool. And this is one where he does project a bit. He's like, you know, you've seen the emphasis the Rangers have put on a bat-driven player. It's a good organizational fit for what they're trying to do. So top three players, all prep um, prep hitters. The number four pick, Brooks Lee, the shortstop out of Cal Poly. Really interesting here because Lee was a guy who was seen as a high draft pick coming out of high school. And he chose to go play for his father instead. So definitely a guy that um, I guess the thought process here is you're not going to see a guy like uh, Kevin Parada because the Pirates took Henry Davis last year. So you're going to take a position player over a catcher. Um, but a guy, I mean, he's hitting 402 on the season in college. 402, 503, 693. Uh, seven home runs, 17 doubles, 30 walks, and 10 strikeouts. Like... You take that top five, and that's fine. The Pirates have a lot of shortstop prospects, guys who can play shortstop, but a guy that good, you can put him anywhere on the field. Um, the number five pick for the Nationals is Kevin Parada, the catcher from Georgia Tech. Interesting one to me. I don't necessarily know about his defense. I don't, I don't know, know if his defense is going to be good enough to keep him at catcher, but there's a couple things you can think about here. Is one, obviously... Um, the Nationals don't have a ton of long-term plans with the guys on the roster right now outside of Juan Soto. So there's plenty of places you can play him. And two, if you do move to an automated balls and strikes, you know, to an ABS, to a robo-wump, then the defensive concerns become less for a Kevin Parada because he doesn't have to focus on receiving and framing. He can focus on, on blocking and things like that. So interesting pick. Again, love the offense of a Kevin Parada. Think it's, you know, think, think it's great. Uh, question the defense. And it, for me, it's hard to think about taking a catcher top five uh, who doesn't have good defense unless the plan is not to keep him at catcher or the Nationals make it a bet that you're going to have the robo up soon. Uh, number six for the Marlins, Jacob Berry, the corner infielder for Louisiana State for LSU. And... Uh, one of the better, I think, college bats in this class. Very impactful. I've got to see him in person this year. And the Marlins don't necessarily have that kind of impact bat in this system. So it tracks. It makes sense. I get it. Uh, the Cubs are taking Dylan Lesko, the right-hand pitcher out of Buford High School in Buford, Georgia. Um, he, he's probably the top pitching prospect in the draft. Um, the Cubs need pitching. This makes a lot of sense. Perfect. Let's move on. Uh, the Twins taking... Daniel Susak, the catcher out of Arizona. So I thought this was really interesting. Freshman All-American in 2021, 
doing well in 2022, 386, 435, 627. I think he's a better defensive catcher than Prada. I don't think that's tough. Um, offensively, not many people think he's on the same level as Parada. I think Kevin um, Daniel Susak's pretty good, and I can see him being. I can see it more as a one A one B versus the clear number one catcher in Parada, simply because of the positional concerns with Parada. Um, number nine, the Royals taking J.C. Young, the second baseman out of Texas Tech. Um, just a natural hitter. I mean, he can hit the ball, Danny Field. He can hit it with power. Uh, defensively, expect him to stay, um, probably stay at second base. I think I think he can do it. He's not going to be the best second baseman. He'll be good enough. He'll be he'll probably be a bat first kind of guy. You're going to want him to be playing with a, a a good shortstop. The question I would have is, what is the value if the shift is banned? What happens there, and how does that change the thinking? I don't necessarily know. I don't know if the Royals know that either. The thought process there would be he'd be playing next to Bobby Witt Jr. Wouldn't matter. Uh, the Rockies take outfielder Chase DeLauder from James Madison. And uh, very, very good mix of tools. Um, past history. His swing is good. He played at the Cape last year. Like what we saw there. Um, so I think he's got a lot of what you need to be a good middle of the lineup hitter. Uh, you have to have plenty of speed to play the outfield in Colorado. You're going to be running a lot. Uh, I think Chase DeLauder has that. I think this is a good pick. Uh, Jackson Holiday, the shortstop from Stillwater High School in Stillwater, Oklahoma, to the Mets. Um, one of the better defensive, um, <clears throat> sorry, one of the better defensive shortstops in this high school class. And this is from somebody who doesn't necessarily have a ton of knowledge about this high school class. There's only so much you can know when it comes to prospects and uh, and draftable guys and things like that. And I've I've got like first round high school knowledge and that's about all I've got because uh, I know a little bit more about the college players than some of the high school. But from what I understand, Holiday's got some of the best defense um, among the high school shortstops. I think it's a good pick there for the Mets. By the time he's coming up, you're looking at a thing where you've had some age on Francisco Lindor and you have to figure out what to do there. I think it works out well. Interesting one here at 12. And this is one where, this is a tricky part in the draft because... The college bats right now, there's a lot of college hitting in this class, but there's not a ton of like superstar guys, just solid hitters. And then the best prep guys are already gone. And we've talked and talked and talked about how college pitching is decimated in this draft. So JJ Cooper has the Tigers taking Kumar Rocker, the right-hand pitcher. You'll, you remember from Vandy, uh, the whole deal with, with uh, the, the elbow issue in his medicals, the Mets end up not signing him. He sits out, does not play unaffiliated ball. I thought he would do something. He's been working out. Uh, it goes back in the draft this year. Baseball America took him at 12. And it's something where he actually has a rule named about him now. So the, the Kumar Rocker rule is if you are drafted, and I think it's the first 10 rounds, and you have submitted your medicals to MLB for teams to look at, then if they draft you, they are required to offer you 75% of slot value or you become a free agent. And it's like August is the deadline. So you could make a fall semester if you wanted to go back to college. So really interesting, um, interesting pick there. And then uh, the Angels at 13, left-hand pitcher Noah Schultz from, from um, Oswego East High School in Illinois. Uh, and Cam Collier at, at 14 to the Mets, the third baseman from Chipola, Florida, um, out of junior college. 
both these guys are kind of interesting picks. Um, I'm kind of shocked that, and and he's put this in his write-up too, I'm shocked that like Gavin Cross and Jordan Beck are still available there, and Cam Collier's the pick. And in just a minute, I do want to cover the back half of the draft, as well as some of the thoughts and observations and trends that I've noticed in there. Uh, but first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Rock Auto. Uh, Rock Auto is a family business serving DIYers for car maintenance for over 20 years. You can save time and money. And instead of going to the auto parts store, to the, the ch- local chain auto parts store, for them to ask you all the questions just to not have the part in the back, you can just go online and buy it from Rock Auto. Reliably low prices, you put in the year-making model of your car, and it gives you all of the stuff you need. Uh, for your vehicle that they sell. And I've told this story before about how to get some touch-up paint for the wife's car. And I go in there and I put in the make and model and it says, here is the sticker, like where the sticker is on your car. Here is the info we need from that sticker to tell you exactly what your paint color is. I go, I put that in, pops up, boom. This is your paint color. It's the whole kit, everything I need to the touch-up, the sealant, everything to take care of that spot before it rusted on my wife's car. Super easy, super convenient. Saved a bunch of money compared to what the dealership would charge me or what I'd pay a local chain auto parts store for that part. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So back half of this draft, uh, really interesting after the Padres take a shortstop, uh, a high school shortstop at 15 in Cole Young, Gavin Cross, the outfitter from, from Virginia Tech, finally comes off the board at 16. I'm kind of surprised he falls that low. Contact rate over 80%. Exit velos in the 90th percentile. Like, I mean, professional exit velos, professional contact rates. He can play all over the outfield. Shocked he fell to 16. Just the way that this draft, draft unfolded. Can't say the real draft's going to go the same way. Uh, Phillies take a, a high school pitcher at 17, a left-hander, um, mid-90s fastball, breaking ball, feels like a changeup, get an experience, and he's in MLB in four years. It's kind of what the, it's kind of what the write-up says. Um, the Reds take outfielder Justin Crawford from Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. I think that's the Bryce Harper High School. I think it's the same place. Uh, but very good athlete, very, very fantastic speed. Carl Crawford's son, so it makes sense that he's got that. Um, very ha- has very good raw power. You want to see him, you know, get that into the games as he gets older. Uh, the Oakland A's take Kate Doty, the second baseman from LSU, second LSU infielder taken in this first round. Uh, it's something where very advanced swing, good contact, and then we've seen the power tr- uh, like tick up this season. We've seen him get better at putting balls over the fence, putting balls in the gaps. Uh, At 20, the Braves take Jordan Beck, the outfielder from Tennessee. Everything you can want for a right fielder. Um, Obviously, you have Ronald Acuna for a while, but just something where he's got all the tools. He can play left. He can play right. You're going to feel good about him being in your outfield. Uh, Robert Moore, the second baseman from Arkansas, goes to 21. Kind of the, uh, would be a long-term option for you at second. And I'm just thinking about like uh, Robert Moore and Noel B. Marte together. Feels like it'd be really interesting. And then here's where it gets fun, because here is the first college pitcher taken in this draft at pick number 22. How long has it been until we've taken, we've t- it's taken 22 picks to get to a, pitch, a college pitcher in the draft? But the first one, 
The first two pitchers off the board from college are both injured guys. So Connor Prelip, the lefty from Alabama, is at 22 to the Cardinals. And then Landon Sims, the righty from Mississippi State, is at 23 to the Blue Jays. And again, both of these guys, um, Tommy John surgery, uh, missing most of this season. I think Prelip's expected to be able to throw before the draft. Um, well, as Landon Sims got hurt during the year, but still, I mean... They're getting their TJ out of the way. Do that right behind that. The Red Sox have Hunter Barco at 24. So third straight college pitcher. Now, I think this was written before Hunter Barco got hurt. So I don't necessarily know if that's still the pick that would be there or not for at 24. But really interesting. The, um, the Yankees take a high school pitcher at 25. And it's something where the high school pitching in this class, there's a lot of good high school pitching in this class. And, this, and I think in the end can be one of the better high school pitching classes. You've seen some of the top guys go, and now it's a lot of guys with really interesting tools. But just ton of quality high school pitching in this class. I feel like if you had a if you had an extra pick like in the competitive balance round, you're gonna take a you're just gonna take a flyer on a high school pitcher because there's a bunch of really good guys who probably in other years would be higher uh, than the back half of the first round. But that 2020 draft messed a lot of stuff up, and then 2021 college eligibility. Everybody gets an extra year. It's messing up college rosters, just kind of the way it's worked out. Guys who've had a chance to build their stock back after spending the year during the pandemic working out, things like that. Uh, 26, JT Williams, uh, the shortstop from Rockwell, Texas. Very, very good looking swing. Like offensively profiles to be a very good, uh, very good hitter. Um, 27, the, the, the Brewers take a prep pitcher, Brock Porter out of Orchard Lake, Michigan. Uh, something where he was rated higher than this. It's kind of surprising that he's fallen. This is the nature of drafts, right? This can happen in drafts. Guys can just slide down the board. No reason of their own. The draft just unfolds a different way. Walter Ford, the right-hand pitcher out of high school at 29 to the Rays. Uh, Hot take, the Rays are drafting a pitcher from Florida. Um, Obviously, they develop a ton of pitchers. You want to see what they can do with this. And then 30, I love this pick. Cooper Herpe from Oregon State, the lefty, at 30 to the Giants. Been a big fan of Cooper Herpe all season. Doesn't have amazing velocity, sits low 90s, but he's got um, a changeup and a slider so he can attack either side of the plate to go with it. Uh, you've seen a lot of pitchers pick up velo. It feels like picking up velo is not the hardest thing to do right now. So if you feel like you have a guy with three-plus pitches, and the fastball arguably being the lowest rated of the three, and you know that you can add a couple miles an hour on that fastball to make it a more lethal offering, you do that. You absolutely jump onto that. And so a couple interesting trends here. Only two catchers in the first round. We've been talking so much about all the catchers and how a lot of teams have young prospects at catcher, young hot prospects at catcher. And so because of that, there's not a huge run on catchers. But the two you see are both college catchers. You don't see any prep catchers in the first round. Um, one one other observation here is I mentioned Hunter Barco probably had not gotten hurt when they wrote this. Same thing, Blade Tidwell had not come back when they wrote this. So you have to wonder how that affects things. Uh, college pitching, again, not top heavy, a lot of hurt guys, but there's going to be tons of value in the second and third round. So I can absolutely see teams, unless you're taking one of those top guys there, Going somewhere else, getting value, and coming back for college pitching, second and third round. College hitting is really deep. Tons of hitters in this class. And high school pitching is deep. So I feel like the deepest places are 
college hitting and high school pitching, I feel like the weakest places, college pitching by far, as far as the top is concerned, and then prep hitting. You've got the superstar kids who are at the very beginning, and then after that, that mid-range in the first round, you just don't have a ton of great options. Stay tuned this week. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. We're going over some of the uh, top prospects and how they're doing in the minors tomorrow. We've got another Farm Friday coming up, this one with the Pirates. Lots of great stuff. So stay tuned for that. If you have questions for the show, reminder, mailbags every single Monday. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. But until we talk again, this has been Locked On MLB Prospects. <laughs>